Good morning. Welcome to the Heights Baptist Church. My name is Karen Hahn, and I'll be preaching the sermon today. No, but I am my husband's helpmate, and he did ask me to share my testimony. So I'm going to share my testimony. But thank you for coming to church. We're honoring um, God's fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath. And we're here to hear the word of God preached and to sing praises to Almighty God together. So thank you for coming here and um, doing that with us. But uh, I want to tell you this morning about the most wonderful event in my life. It occurred um, back in 1982. It was around Christmas time. And a friend of mine was coming to pick me up, and we were going to go to the mall and do some Christmas shopping. And um, right when they were supposed to come and pick me up, my house was in a rageful fight, a violent fight. Um, My mom and dad, uh, they fought all the time. My dad had gotten sick, and he had become uh, emotionally abusive and physically abusive and very violent and Their marriage ended up in divorce, and my home life was a wreck, and it broke me entirely inside. And right when he came to pick me up, there was all this violence going on. So I ran to the car, and I was very upset, and he's like, what's wrong? And I told him everything. I told him about the sickness of my father and my awful home life. And I was scared, because sometimes when you share with people and you're vulnerable with them, you never know how they're going to react, and they might reject you. But he said, Karen, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And those words made my heart melt, and it busted my heart wide open to hear more. Because, you know, my home life The violence and the sickness of my father um, was breaking my heart, but my own sin was breaking my heart too, and it was weighing heavy on me. Every night I'd go to bed, and I was worried, what's going to happen to me when I die? Because, you know, you're trying to find who you are in the world and everything, and if you come from a broken home, sometimes you're trying a little too hard. And I had this sin, and it was weighing like a metal on me every night, and I was afraid. If you were to ask me, Back then, what percentage chance would I give myself to go to heaven? I would say maybe 70%. I didn't have a mortal sin, but I, you know, I think I might go to heaven, but it might take a while. I have to go to a few other places before I get there. But, um, anyway, it, it's scary. So my heart was broken, not only in my home life, but because of my own sin. And then, um, When he said, God loves you, I thought, I need to hear more about that. And he told me about how God came to earth and he died on the cross to take away my sin. You know, I I knew about Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Although I was maybe a Christian by name, I was not a Christian. My family, we were not Christians. I I did not know exactly why he died on the cross. I had heard it was to be a good example. And so when I heard he came to take away my sin by being the penalty of my sin, by being my substitute on that cross for the punishment of my sin, I just, it melted my heart again. And God's word says, God made him who had no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God. 
And that if I placed my trust and faith in the cross and the work of the cross, and I moved away from trusting in my own works and a religion, but just simply placed my trust and faith in the cross, I would be saved. And at that moment, I wanted to be saved. So I said a simple prayer, and I I told the Lord, thank you for dying on that cross for my sin. And at that moment, when I said that prayer, I ran out of the grave, and I ran out of the darkness into his light. Jesus um, came into my life through his spirit. He cleansed me of my sin, and I had a fellowship with him and God the Father through his spirit. And he made me holy, and he filled me with his love, saying, I love you. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm with you. I will heal you. I will help you. And he, he has every step of the way. At first, I struggled to walk with God. I wanted to go back to my fleshy ways. But then I began. I just kept going. I started reading my Bible every day and saying my prayers. When I got to college, I got to a Bible church. And I just started walking with God day after day, week after week, month after month. And now for 36 years, I can testify I'm alive. He has made me alive. Thank you. Isn't she wonderful? <laughs> I, uh, I, I love her story. It's a favorite one of mine. Uh, so excited to, to, to see what God can do in any and every life. You know, as I... I think about Karen's story. You know, my story's different. It, it's, it's really not like that. And that would be true for most of us, right? I mean, our stories are not the same. We're, we're, we were religious. We were irreligious. We, you know, we kind of started seeking out God this way, somebody else that way. It's you've got this sin. I've got that sin. It's all a, a little bit different approach. But boy, where all of our stories are very much the same, they all point to the goodness of God, don't they? Amen. We praise God for his goodness and what he does in our lives. I would like to share a little bit of my story with the Lord and how it began. It actually began, well, before the world was created, but we won't go that, we won't go that far back today. Uh, but my story with the Lord actually began in 1908. I'm holding up pretty well, aren't I? <laughs> no, I, I wasn't there in 1908, but, I, but I'm not kidding. My, my story with the Lord began then with a pennant race, a National League pennant race between the Chicago Cubs and what was then the New York Giants. Not the Yankees or the Mets, but the New York Giants. And they had battled it out all season and they were, they were fighting toward this NL pennant. And as it was getting late into September and the end of the season, the schedule brought them to playing each other. And uh, they obviously the winner of the game is going to come out with a, a solid lead and moving toward that championship. And uh, they, at the, in near the end of the game, the ninth inning, they're tied up. And a, a guy by the name of Fred Merkel, Fred Merkel is playing for the Giants. He is, he is on first base. And the, the guy behind him, the guy at the plate, get, gets a big hit. And, and as the ball is sailing out to the, to the outfield and, and Fred Merkel begins to run, he sees, he puts this, I can, I can make it home. 
I, I can stretch this out and I can get to home. And so, boy, with that kind of intensity and speed, he's rounding second and third and charging toward home. No throw was coming in. So he crosses home plate. Man, arms up in the air. This is victory. This is the, the championship. He's waiting for the team to come out and swarm him. When he hears the umpire say, you're out. What? Yeah, right? How, how is that? There's not even a throw. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm out. Well, while he was running toward home, the Chicago Cubs second baseman with the ball in hand touched second base, something Fred Merkel had not done. He had missed second base as he was rounding it to go to third Man, can you just imagine the, the horror? Can you, do you know the feeling in your stomach that you would feel when, man, I think I'm heading home safely. I, I'm heading toward victory only to be called out because you missed a base. That story is what turned my eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few years after 1908, as a matter of fact, the same year that Karen's story began with the Lord, I was sitting in a church service much like this, May of 1982, a month shy of turning 17, and my pastor, Dr. Ed Young, told that story. And as he told that story, as he was rounding the base toward home, it was one of those moments you have in life where everything kind of becomes crystal clear. I mean, honestly, I didn't need the pastor to finish the story. I didn't need him to connect the dots. I didn't need him to explain what he was trying to make out of this. I knew in that moment, that's my life. That's my life. If you'd, if you'd watched me from a distance, man, I'm out there playing around on second and third and home. I, I, I look like a Christian. I'm acting like a Christian. I believe like a Christian. I, I do Christian stuff. I was raised in a home where it looked like biblical values were guiding our family, our, our home. Christians were my friends. I mean, if you looked at any part of my life, you'd say, oh, you know, he's far advanced in all that around the bases. But as I sat there that day, I could not for the life of me tell you I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I couldn't tell you I had it. I couldn't tell you when it began... A bunch of Christian activity and busyness is not a relationship. You know, Jesus is actually very concerned that we understand the difference. He challenges, are you busy in religion or or you have an actual relationship with me? Let, Let me let you listen to how he said this. Some of you may be familiar, maybe you've heard this, this term, this particular sermon, the, the Sermon on the Mount. It, it was in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said these words. And he, that, on that day, I mean, Jesus talked to all kinds of people, all different kinds of crowds. But on that day, it, it probably, by and large, was a religious crowd. It was a crowd in our lingo. You know, they're in church. They're in church a lot. They, they do the church things and the church stuff. And, and Jesus says this to them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's just kind of disconcerting right there, isn't it? I, you know, I thought knowing you, I thought saying your name, I, that ought to be worth something, right? N- not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Now, he'll go on later in the gospel to explain that the will of the Father is that we believe on the one whom he has sent. Jesus here goes on to say, on that day, many, that word many is concerning to me. I I mean, I'd be a little more comfortable if he said some of you, a few of you. But he says many. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name? cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them I I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness I've always thought those were some of the the hardest words in the Bible I would actually maybe a different word than harsh words not very nice words in the Bible I mean can that really happen Jesus can, can we live our lives for you and, and do all this stuff and then, and then get to heaven and you would actually say, I don't, I don't know you? That doesn't seem very, is this a trick? Is this a trick? I mean, can really, I can live my life and you're just going to act like you don't know? I mean, who, who are these people that he's talking to? Man, they're, they're team Jesus. They're out there running around second base, third base, home plate. Now, maybe I'm pushing the baseball illustration too far. But isn't that kind of what was described? Look at them out there on second, man. They're, they're prophesying in the name of Jesus. Now they're coming around. Boy, this is an advanced base. They're, they're casting out demons. That seems kind of hard. And then coming toward home. What did it say? It didn't just say, oh, hey, here's some people that went to church periodically. Threw some money in the plate. Oh, they try to be kind at least once a day or a week. <laughs> no, no, it said they did mighty works. They did many mighty works in the Lord. This is, this is all for team Jesus. And he says, I don't, I don't know you. And that would seem to present really an only an opportunity at a very insecure life at best. I mean, you do your best, you hope, and then you get there. And it's just a, it's just a shot in the dark what you're going to find when you, when you meet Jesus. It's kind of interesting to think through that because, you know, I can tell you what God wants for you today is not insecurity. What God wants for you today is the absolute security, confidence, peace that you're loved by him, that you're forgiven by him, that you have eternal life. When I say this is that I know this is God's will for you, it's because that's what God's word says. 1 John 5.13 says, I've written these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, what? No. Not, not hope. Not be mostly certain. Not I think, well, I think I have a, a good chance. Karen gave herself 70%. No, God says, I don't, want you to, I don't want you resting on 70%. Man, I want you to know that you have eternal life. Now, I like that. But now, wait a minute, how, so I've got one passage saying that I can know, but then there's Matthew 7, there's Jesus and these, these people. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some of them would have said, well, I know, look at how I'm living, look at what I'm doing, I, I, I know, and yet he, yet he says he doesn't know them. You know, if you'll go back and look closely at Matthew 7, Jesus isn't challenging their activity, 
He's not challenging the, the good things they did or their efforts or they didn't do enough or they didn't do the right things. It's not their efforts that he's challenging. It's the lack of a relationship that he's challenging. You know, if, if you study humanity, if you study the way religions work, world religions, and by the way, when I say religions, I would absolutely include atheism, secularism, materialism, all of these things that, well, that's not religion. They have no God. No, they have a God. Their own intellect is their God. The, the stuff of the world is their God. That's what their hope is. That's what their, I'm, my intellect, I'm counting on my intellect that tells me there's no God. That's what they worship. That's what their hope is. But if you look at all of these things, the, the religious religions or the irreligious religions, you know, they're all basically doing one thing, helping me feel good about myself. And that's not a genuine love for the, the God they believe they're serving. We, we can be doing all this activity and, and not be showing any love for God, any devotion to God. Man, I'm doing this for me. I, I'm doing this so that I can have peace, that I can have confidence, that I'm good. I, I, I believe the right things. I, I do the right things. I hang around people who believe the right things and do the right things. And I, and I tell myself that I'm good. The irreligious, I, I tweet the right thing after a disaster. I have the right moral posturing when others have done wrong. I take care of the earth. And we point to these things that tell us what? That I'm good. And the amazing thing, and here's where it really is not a devotion to God or the earth or anything else. I'm not doing these things out of love for them. I'm, I'm doing these things for what they say about me. Because as I'm able to point to, you know, I did this and I believe that and I'm, I'm this, you know, it actually becomes arrogance. It, it becomes pride. Because as I do these good things, I can now look to God and say, you owe me. I, I went to church today, God. I have a good day tomorrow. You know, I, I, I did a kind deed yesterday. You owe me an answer. You owe an explanation for what's, what's happened. And, and we'll get God in a position that he owes us because we're so good. He owes me because I'm so good and, and, and the good that... I, what is this standard of good that we've decided that we've reached? How, how have you determined what is good and that you've, you've met the standard? You know, I know what God says. God says that all have sinned. You know that word sin in the, in, in the Greek language? It means to miss the mark. That's it. You know, sin's a big heavy church word. Well, in the Greek language, it just meant you were shooting at a target and you missed it. There, there, there's a target. There's a standard. And, and we've missed it. We've all missed it. We've missed it lots of times. We've missed it lots of ways. Some of the ways we know we've missed it, right? Other ways maybe we didn't even realize, didn't even acknowledge that we missed the target there. But we've all missed it. Oh, we play little games with ourselves about who's missed it the worst or who's missed it the most. I missed it like you. It, it, it's a, it, that's not the standard. is isn't how I measure out against you or you against me or you against them. The standard is, well, it says there, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is his perfection, his goodness, his purity, his beauty, his truth. Now, when I think of that as you know, the perfection of God, that's the standard I've missed. Don't you kind of a little bit want to say, well, that's not fair. 
I mean, nobody can meet that standard. Nobody can hit that mark. That, that's not fair. But when I get done telling God that's not fair, what standard do I want him to have? I mean, if he accepts the lie, if he accepts the injustice, if he accepts the ugliness, if, if he accepts, accepts the impurity, then that's what he becomes. That's what heaven becomes. I don't want heaven to be part two of earth. He set a standard. He has a right to set the standard, and we've all missed it. And I think in our heart of hearts, we know that. I think that's what Karen was saying in her story. She, sometimes we lay down in bed at night, or we have those moments of quietness, and, and we know. We know something's wrong. And so what do we do? We start hoping. We start, well, I'm a, no, 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 I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm okay. You know what God says? about your good works, your efforts to, to reach the standard. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says, you know, we've, we've all become like an unclean person. All of our righteous deeds. Let me stop right there. All of my righteous deeds. What's the, the best thing about you? If you were making a case for the good person that you are, what would you point to? Is, is it a character quality? I'm a pretty patient person. I think I'm pretty kind. Maybe it's something you did. Oh, I, I helped somebody out over here. Boy, I, real sacrifice. They would say, they would say, I've changed their lives. What, what would you point, what would be the three, four, five best things about you? That you would say, hey, here, here's some evidence. You know, God says that those those righteous things that we point to, that we hold on to, are, are like a filthy garment, a polluted garment to him. That's, a, that's an interesting word, isn't it? A polluted, I mean, we don't use that phrase, do we? We, we don't, that's a polluted garment. We don't, we don't use that. The, the Hebrew word there that, that's used there, the, the literal translation of that is, is something I'm not going to tell you because it's gross. It's Inappropriate. I mean, seriously, Lord, that was inappropriate to say that. That, that was inappropriate to put that image in my mind. Why, why would you say that, Lord? That's just gross. You know, then it dawned on me, maybe that was God's idea. It is to put a, a, an image out there that, that young or old, male or female, 1508 or 2018, Africa, China, it doesn't matter where you are and how old you are. When you get that word picture, you're going to go, ugh, gross. That's not appropriate. That, that, maybe the closest I'll come to explaining what that word means there, and this is not the word, this is, I'm still falling here, soiled underwear. And I haven't gone the full distance. Soiled, I mean, the Bible actually says soiled. That's kind of gross. I think that's what God's counting on is that we would all get it when you and I bringing our very, here's how good I am, how good I've tried to be. And God goes, ugh. Why? God, that doesn't seem very nice on God's part. You know, I'm a dad. I've raised four kids. You, you know, you're, you're helping them along. You're teaching them. Sometimes they don't get it. Sometimes they, they can't do it. But it, in kind of the role of a dad is, my, I mean, my job's there to, to teach them and to help them. And, okay, so this time you didn't do a very good job. It didn't work. But, I mean, you, you come along and encourage, right? You come, well, you did get this done. 
Well, you did make this happen, and you kind of point out the positive and keep them moving in the right direction. Hey, God, if you were really a loving father, it seems like you would acknowledge my efforts. You would acknowledge I'm trying here. Why would you say you have this reaction? Because, folks, your hope and my hope and all of our good things is keeping us from everything good that God has for us. God is repulsed by our faith in how good we are because it's keeping us from knowing how much he loves us and what he's done so that we could know genuine love, genuine forgiveness, and actually eternal life. And you and I will reject all that to hold on to how, to how good we are. The Bible says that God showed his love for us and that while we were sinners... I love that phrase, while we were sinners. I mean, you think about the way humans work. We reward after good behavior, right? It doesn't say God showed his love for, look, look, Randy's doing a good job today. Quick, somebody get down there and save him. Today he deserves it. No. It says, while we were sinners. That's when Christ died for us. When you were, when I was, missing the mark over and over and over. Falling short of the standard yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's when God showed his love for us. And it's God's work for us on the cross. That's the only thing that can clean up this polluted garment. It's God's work for us on the cross. That's the only thing. Can you you imagine looking at Jesus, if you believe him, And you believe in what he did for you at the cross. Can you imagine looking at that tremendous act of love and sacrifice and then saying, yeah, but did you see what I did? Because that's exactly what we're doing when we trust in ourselves. Yeah, but did you see what I did? In the face of God's love and sacrifice. Folks, my good things, I'm a pretty good person. I'm batting for average. Do I really think that because I did a kind deed yesterday that I now have the right to be a child of God? You know, rights is a big word in America. The Bible doesn't use the word rights very often. There's a couple of places that it talks about a right that we have. Do I think I have a right to be a child of God because I did some good thing. You know, it's funny. We'll, we'll focus on the three, four, five things that are good about us while completely ignoring the three, four, five things that say something else, right? And how does the presence of three or four or five good things in my life eradicate the presence of three, four, five bad things? There's no effort of mine that's going to make me a child of God. But, but what God said is, For all those who would receive me, to those who would believe on the name of Jesus, you can have the right to become a child of God. You see now why God's repulsed by our hope and our own good deeds? I'm holding on to that instead of coming over here and holding on to Christ and the child of God that he actually wants to make me. It says to those who received him. How do you receive God? What what does that mean? How do I do that? Well, Romans 10, 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, that that doesn't mean say Jesus is Lord and poof, magic happens. No, when I'm confessing 
that I believe Jesus is Lord. I'm, what I'm saying there is I believe you're God. And if, in fact, I believe you're God, then it's now my responsibility to act like you're God, to worship you like you're God, to obey you like you're God, to follow and serve you like you're God. You know, when we say Jesus is Lord, that, that word there literally means master. I'm no longer the master of my life. I'm not the master of today's agenda. I'm not the master of what is right and wrong. I'm not the master of my identity. Jesus, I'm, I, what is that? If you, if, you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're now the master. You're the master of my identity. You're the master of what is right and wrong. You are the master of this day and what I do in it and with it. You're the master. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What, what's in your heart? Man, our, our hope is in our heart, Right? Am am I hoping in what a good person I'm trying to be and how religious I am or how smart I am? Or am I hoping in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26 and 27 says we're all going to die. I don't think that's a newsflash, is it? We're we're all going to die, and as we die, we head to our appointment with God. That's the word used there. It's been appointed unto man to die once and then face God. What's talking about here when it says, I believe in the resurrection. When I go to that appointment, my hope is not that I found the right religion. My hope is not in my performance, what a good person I am. My hope is in the death of Jesus Christ that washed away my sins. My hope is in his resurrection that means like he rose again, I can rise again. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that hope, that hope is for you. Because Romans 10, 13 says everyone. You know, we're talking about meeting a standard today. That's a standard you can meet, isn't it? Everyone. I can meet the standard of everyone. I'm an everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me ask you a question today. Are you saved? I didn't ask if you've been busy being a, doing Christian things, church stuff. I didn't ask if you have a long history in the church and everybody around you thinks you are. I asked you, do you know? Do you know that you have that relationship with God? Do you know when it began, when you called out to him? Maybe another question to ask, do you think you need to be saved? I've talked with a lot of people over the years. I know there are people sitting in here right now that would say no. No, I don't need to be saved. And they would say no for a couple of reasons. They might say no because I, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe a, this is foolishness, man. You Look at you up there. I'm, I'm here because I got stuck. I woke up an hour early and, and here, hey, listen, there are people at church every single Sunday don't believe anything. They just got stuck. They owed somebody something, Right. So no, you'd sit here and say, no, I don't need to be saved. And, and yet, even after everything we've looked at and heard today, there would be people still, because I remember I, I said Sunday after Sunday, year after year, I heard it and heard it and heard it, and for whatever reason, the dots didn't connect, I didn't get it. There'd be people sitting here right now, no, I don't need to be saved. I'm, I'm kind of hard to say the words now, but what they're saying, I'm good enough. 
I'm good enough. I'm, I'm religious enough. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look who I'm, look who I'm related to and connected with. Can, can, can I tell you something? Regardless of what your belief is today, you're not good enough. And God says you need to be saved. My guess is also there's somebody sitting in here right now, maybe, maybe watching online that would say, I do know I need to be saved. I know I'm not, and I know I need to be. Well, Romans 10, 13 just told us what we need to do. We need to call out to the Lord. We need to invite him. We need to receive him into our lives. Karen referred to that in her story, that moment where she said that simple prayer of faith. Boy, if you know you need to do this in your life, I, I want to I want to lead you in a prayer right now. What is prayer? It's calling out to the Lord. I want to, I want to say a prayer much like I prayed, much like Karen prayed. And, and don't worry if, if, I, if my prayer is too fast for you to keep up. It's not reciting each word I say and then it works. You, you don't have to say the exact words I say. That's not what this is. It's, it's what's in your heart right now. And God knows that. God knows what's in your heart. So if it's your desire right now to, to be saved, then I encourage you to just let my prayer become your prayer. God wants you to know that you're a child of God, loved, forgiven, and heading toward eternal life in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I do believe you're the Son of God. I do believe you died on the cross for my sins. I do believe you rose again. So that I could rise again. Jesus would you come into my life. I want to receive you as my master. Receive you as my God. I ask that you would help me live for you. And follow you and walk with you. Jesus would you fulfill your promise. And make me a child of God. Right here and right now. Oh Jesus thank you that you would do this for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Now, it, it, I'm not done. I, I know we all listen for little cues in the message that mean it's time to get to the car and get out of here. Okay, you've got an extra hour, relax, okay? And I will not go another hour. But folks, I want to remind you something. Based on the authority of God's word, I love saying that. Because right now, you could have just said that prayer and then opened your eyes and I don't feel any different, You're not trusting in how you feel. We're trusting in the authority of God's word. Well, I I haven't done anything different yet. Whether it's right now or an hour from now or tomorrow, you're not trusting in your performance. You're trusting in the authority of God's word. I'm not asking you to buy into what I believe. I'm not asking you to buy into this church or this denomination. Based on the authority of God's word, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are a child of God. Hold on to his word and his promise. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, there's a lot. Now, if you're going to clap, clap. It's kind of halfway. Gee whiz, come on. Nobody's playing golf up here. Uh, Listen, and and if you would, just hold tight for a second. I I am going to be a couple of more minutes, okay? Um, on, on your way out uh, today, 
when you go out these doors back toward the window in the center, there, there, we have a book here. And I, and I really think this is important. If you just prayed that prayer, because I don't want you to look back on today, a, a month from now, five years from now, and you're going, I, you know, I think, I think I did something back then. I know I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, man, I want you to know what just happened here. And as you can see, it's not, it's not huge. This isn't going to take you 10 years to work through. Man, it's just a little pamphlet. But what it'll do is kind of walk you through what just happened here, kind of guide you back to God's word. I'm asking you not to trust in me. I'm asking you to trust in God's word. And it'll also kind of guide you and talk to you about what some of the next steps are. Because really, it, this might sound kind of strange, but literally in the next five to seven minutes, you could be setting an agenda that describes your walk with the Lord for the rest of your life. Let me tell you what I mean. Jesus said, when you invite me into your life, here's what I want your first step to be. I want you to walk through the waters of baptism. We got to see that today. And you know what? It's real easy to hear that and think, ah, you know, I think I've already done that. I don't know if I want to do that right now. You know what? I'd already done it. I'd done it twice. My, my parents took me as a baby. I was baptized as a baby. We joined another church later, and they did baptism like you saw today. And I, 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 that's what you got to do to join the club, I guess so. And so I, I got back. I'm, I'm, not, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. That's what I did. And I didn't understand that biblically, baptism is a profession not of my, what my parents believe. Baptism is a profession of what's happened in my life. And, and it's actually a picture I mean, it's, it's what we've just told, man, I've died to myself. I've died to trusting in how good I am. And a new person has been raised in Jesus Christ. And, and so it's a picture of what has it. Baptism doesn't save you. That doesn't make you a child of God. If you just called out to him, you are a child of God. But boy, check out Mark chapter 8. Jesus doesn't want you to be ashamed that you've called out to him. He doesn't want that to be something you kind of hide and keep on the DL. He wants, you to, he wants you to profess, here's who I belong to. And he says that begins in the waters of baptism. Actually, that's one of the meanings of the word baptism, to identify with. When I go through those waters, I'm saying, I've identified my life with one master. His name is Jesus Christ. We, that's where we publicly profess that we belong to him. And so I, I, I don't want you to go kind of through these next few months. Oh, I don't need to do that. Oh, I already did. Well, what I did back there was important. I want your next step to be how many different ways can you say yes to Christ? Not why I don't really need to do what you called me to do, Jesus. You, you know, the next thing Jesus calls us to do, second step, is connect with the body of Christ. To be a member with a church. Now, when you, when you ask Christ in your life, you instantly became a member of the capital C church. The church universal. All believers everywhere. There's, there's one church. There's one body of Christ. And do you know where we live out our relationship with the body of Christ universal? In a local church. In a local setting. You know, he calls this a body of Christ. I don't know about you. I don't want my thumb to have a loose connection with the hand. I don't want it to be kind of an informal connection. Are you getting what I'm meaning? I want my thumb, I want my hand to be very tightly connected. Very formally connected with the body. The other thing the Bible calls this is a family. What do you think of a family member that doesn't, I'll be there when I get there. I don't really want to... 
I don't want to get too connected with, with how, how would you look at a family member like that? I mean, folks, everything the scripture describes is the formality, the officialness, the closeness of our connection. So you become a part of the body of Christ. You join a church. Now, I know there'd be some here that's, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passing through. That's okay. Remember, we got college students. I'm going to be gone in a year. I know we always have people here from Fort Lee. And, man, a lot of you, you know, I'm in a six-month course, and then I'm, I'm passing on. Let me tell you what you ought to do today. Go out there and say, I just prayed that prayer. I'd like to be baptized and join this church. I'll be here for six months. Look for all the ways you say yes to the Lord, not the ways you say, that's not for me. I can do that later. Listen, if you move in six months, you go to a new church, you tell them, hey, I want to join and be a part of this family, and we'll gladly send your membership there. Folks, let me tell you something. If you go out there today and you sign up to, to get baptized and become a member of the church, you, you know what? I, I get a huge Christmas bonus for it. So I really... Uh, you know, that sounds stupid, doesn't it? It's, it's meant to sound stupid. you know what I get if you go out there and do that? Nothing. Except the joy as a pastor of encouraging and guiding you to look for all the ways you say yes to the Lord. I want to see you, like Karen, be able to say 36 years from now, man, I'm not perfect, but each day I'm reading my word in his word, I'm praying, I'm, I'm connected with his family, and I'm growing in the Lord. I don't want you 36 years from now to look back and go, I, I, I don't know what I did back there. I think I, I did something. Ah, you know what? I've kind of spent a whole journey with Christ saying, oh, that's not really me. Say yes to the Lord this morning. I promise you in the next few seconds you're going to set an agenda for how you walk with Christ.